0: Welcome to the Alts Podcast. I'm Horatio Ruiz and today's guests are Calshi co-founders Luana Lopez Lara and Tarek Mansour. CalShe is a predictive market platform where users can make bets on real-world events. Some questions you'll find on the platform are, what will the high temperature be in New York City on Friday? Or will average gas prices be higher this week than last week? And again, you can place bets on that. Their goal is to bring Calshi to the mainstream as an exchange, on par with the Dow Jones or the New York Stock Exchange. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Luana and Tarek. Okay, Tarek and Luana, thank you for being here with us tonight to learn more about Kalshi, a really kind of cutting-edge platform, a prediction market uh, marketplace. Could you tell us about what a prediction marketplace is and uh, how Kalshi fits into that? Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So uh,
1: a prediction market or really what we usually ca- call ourselves, we, we call ourselves is an exchange where people can trade on events. And so the, the fundamental premise is the same way that you can trade on other asset classes like stocks or commodities or rates or, you know, these days, crypto. We're creating an asset class called event contracts where people can trade directly on whether events are going to happen or not. So basically you can buy yes and no shares on whether things like will Brexit happen, will, will it rain tomorrow or will COVID get worse uh, next quarter? And the novelty about Kalshi is that we're the first to manage uh, to get federally regulated by the CFTC to offer these types of event contracts.
0: And that's a big deal, right, to be regulated by the CFTC. Could you say that that gives you more legitimacy as a, as a platform? Yes, I mean, uh, absolutely. So I think uh, the way we thought about it when we initially
1: uh, you know, were considering and an starting the company is, you know, in the financial space, anyone can start uh, an, an asset or a website or anything like that to trade. But when we looked at it deeply, the CFTC, which is the federal regulator for, for commodities uh, in the US, you have SEC that regulates equities and CFTC that re- regulates commodities, derivatives, and, and other things, have, has never really allowed this. And so, what we realized is that if we really wanted to build an exchange that has one day the potential to become, you know, uh, to, to build volume at the scale of the New York Stock Exchange or, or, or CME, we needed to be regulated upfront. So that was a you know, not just a
0: necessary, it was a critical part of our business. It had never been done before. Right. And that was a, that was a big hurdle because I, from my understanding, other, other companies had tried to do that to get regulated uh, with the, you know, event contracts and they weren't able to do that. Could you tell me kind of how you, your process was different? And and what was it this time around for, for you guys, where you got that approval? Totally.
1: So, Here's the way I usually describe it. Yes, a lot of people, a lot of institutions, I you mean, know, this is not the first time people think about this idea. If you're in any trading circles or even really broader circles, this is like the holy grail of trading, being able to trade directly on events. A lot of people, businesses, institutions have, you know, considered this idea and tried to do it. And, you know, sometimes have approached regulators with it. And it's been decades where, you know, the regulators have not really allowed it to exist. Luana and I have essentially spent, you know, the better part of two years and a half to even three years working on getting uh, this exchange regulated on, on working with regulators and engaging with them at the CFTC to uh, essentially convey, convince them to regulate us and allow us to be the first ever regulated exchange that allows trading on events. It was a very long road. It took us three years. We, we described them as three years in hell. And I would say the number one differentiating factor, uh, and it's often a very sort of a, uh, not exciting. You know, People love to hear about sort of the secret sauce or secret story, but really what it ended up boiling down to is we were the ones that didn't give up for the longest. We had the most grit out of all the people that have tried before.
2: Yeah, and, and to add a bit to that, I think that it's it's so different, I guess, looking at all the all our peers that, that also start companies, because usually startups launch a product and then iterate. Like We did the exact opposite. Uh, we had to think of every little thing, every little detail that could happen, that could go wrong, and build a solution for it before we even had a live product or, or a single user. Yeah, we essentially pretty much had to build the exchange itself, a broker, a surveillance system that complied with, all the regulation and, and that would be willing to deal with millions of traders before even getting started.
0: Yeah, that seems like a, a lot of responsibility, right? In terms of having to consider uh, all these things, and and I kind of I, I, I want to jump into that. What I want to do is is you you described it um, as three years in hell, which is, is kind of funny, right? Because you're 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 kind of working on on this kind of your baby, right? Your project, something that you really believe in. What what was the impetus for the for creating this platform, this this uh, company? what was kind of like your motivation right uh to begin it and then to see it through yeah absolutely i mean i I can start and and what i can take so the way we think about
1: it is when you know luar and i both have worked extensively uh, you know we got into MIT and then we got into finance and we worked extensively in finance uh we also had something in common where we're really obsessed about sort of financial history and and, and kind of the story and how the financial market got to, to where it was today And at that time, we were observing what we call the casual behavior everywhere. People loved just sort of speculating on future events, like forecasting the future. Will this happen? Will Trump and Kim get out of North Korea with a deal? And then both of us started seeing it in our jobs. You know, when I was at Goldman in 2016, I was working at this exotics desk. And and one of the main things we've done in in that summer is, you know, structure products for institutions that wanted to get exposure to or hedge themselves against Brexit. And these products were very complicated. You know, it was a lot of different financial instruments. And the question of like, why is there no direct way of doing it was popping in our heads.
2: Right. Yeah. As, as Tarek mentioned, I think we're very similar on what we're, I guess, passionate about. And with me, it was similar. I saw this, what we call culture behavior at Bridgewater and a Citadel. Most of their investments are, are thesis-driven investments on specific events. So like what will happen with specific central banks, what will happen with rates and things like that, and they would trade based on it. but there was nowhere to do it directly and and what really Cauchy is about is to bridging that that gap is you have a conviction you have an opinion on an event, and you should be able to have a trade on it directly and it should be accessible to everyone, not just the bridgewaters and the citadels of the world so
0: if i'm I'm hearing it correctly, you know these other financial institutions are are basically trading equities right securities based on real time events right uh, events that can impact a security or some or or a, co- a company let's say one way or another, whether it's good or bad. So they're kind of indirectly trading. And then you you thought, hey, why not? I know it's not the first time it's been created, but you said, you thought, there's got to be a better way of actually trading directly into the event. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. I mean, yeah, the way to think about it is whether you're an
1: institution or an individual, oftentimes when you're doing active trading, how you do that is you first come up with, a, you know, with an opinion about a future event. You know, For example, I think COVID is going to get better this fall. And then you figure out, okay, how do I trade on this? Right, you might buy options or swaps, or you could buy a stock. You know, for example, if you're trading on Robinhood, you buy Marriott stock because you know if COVID is getting better, then there's more demand for hotels, then you know you buy Marriott. But that's very indirect because Marriott stock has a lot of other factors that impacts it. You might be right about your opinion; COVID could get better, but Marriott stock could still go down because maybe I don't know, the CEO got fired, there's been other issues. We allow people to come directly to Kalshi and you know buy yes on will COVID get better, and that's where the directness or, or, or kind of the elegance of this asset class comes from.
0: Okay. Awesome. So going on that, you guys, you know, you graduated from, from MIT and then you're working at uh, two different financial institutions and you're kind of noticing an opportunity, right? Did you guys keep in touch? And how did you decide then to, you know, leave your jobs to then start up a a totally new company?
1: Yeah, totally. So I I think we, you know, we we got into, you know, we both got into MIT as internationals and, and so we were in that sort of circle. And then very closely, I realize, and that was sort of helped us develop a, you know, a strong bond, is both of us were extremely intense people and, and, and pretty relentless. You know, I would say that the thing that was common to both of us is we were not necessarily the, the mathematically smartest people at MIT. They were people that are extremely outlier, but we were the hardest working. I can say that safely. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting from our backgrounds before is both of us had to really work extremely hard to, to get into MIT. You know, I, was, I did some skiing profession at the time. I was a math nerd. Very early on, since I was 13, I made an obsession to get into MIT and, you know, quite literally worked my ass off to get there. And one, I had another very interesting story. You know, she was a professional ballerina she, at the Bolshoi Ballet School. And, and what was crazy about her background is that, you know, she would do ballet, you know, essentially during the day and then would, would do her studies, her tech studies at night. And she managed with all of that to get into MIT, you know, make this sort of uh, uh, switch to, 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 to full-on tech. So, so both of these things quite an incredible amount of intensity. And that was very clear to both of us when we met. Um, you know, we, we both had to go through quite a bit of pain and quite a bit of you know, perfectionism needed to get where, to where we are. So we met uh, you know, at MIT, and we had a very strong interest in math and finance. We took a lot of classes together, wrote a bunch of papers together. And when we were doing that, we realized that you know, we, we had a very similar work ethic, but we were also compliment, complimentary. Like Luana has, has always been sort of an extremely strong optimist. And uh, there's, there was always kind of this idea that you know whatever it is, no matter how irrational, we'll get it done. Whereas I'm a little bit more of, you know, what's the catch, you know, or no free launch. No free launch is currently one of our values of the company type. I'm always thinking about, you know, where where is our downside and sort of how to how to mitigate it. And so these two forces ended up, you know, in some ways being very powerful sort of combination. And with the idea that, you know, as we described, was coming to us and sort of really not leaving us, uh, you know, we realized that full-blown potential, we had the right team in, in, in
0: both of us, and we decided to go for it. How do you... Um balance your roles. What are the roles that you play within the company? You noted, Tarek, uh, the different uh, kind of personalities that you have in terms of the outlook. What are the different responsibilities that each of you uh, share in the company? And where do they overlap as well?
2: We're both founders. So in the end, our jobs are kind of everything, but I'm mainly focused on markets and product nowadays. So product as the classic definition of Silicon Valley, I guess product. So app, website, API, design, all of those things. and 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 markets is actually our real product. So, the markets we're offering, how they work, how are they structured, how to, to build them, how to set the rules, and how to operate them, and all of those things. So, that's kind of what I focus on day to day. And Tarek the CEO, so he can tell you a little bit more about his life.
1: Yeah, so the way I think about it is like, you know, empowering the team to sort of do their best job. So, you know, I focus on, on liquidity building. So, an exchange, a big part of an exchange is basically building liquidity, it's figuring out how the you know, dollars are going to flow through the system. So, that's a lot of my focus, you know, building the team. And then in, in the seasons where it happens, fundraising. And then the rest of it is really sort of helping whatever is most needed. Uh, but that's sort of how we see our role, roles playing out.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the liquidity. And I wonder if at the heart of a company like Calci, right, that the liquidity comes from obviously the users. And how do you attract the users? And, and at the heart of what you do is basically you ask a question and it's the, the, the answer is either yes or no based on the contract, which is simple and yet uh, so complicated at the same time. My fascination is how are the questions uh, developed, right? So it's a two-part question. How are the questions developed? How are they kind of vetted? And then on the the second part, you know, what is the simplicity of that yes and no reply, right? Was that purposely built? Um, Did you go through different like uh, iterations of it? And how did you decide on that simple yes or no?
2: Well, that is a loaded question, but I'll start from, from the first one. So we pick contracts based on mainly user suggestions. So most of our contracts in the platform are actually coming directly from user suggestions. And we also do complementary research to to decide on the contracts that, that go in. And then we actually have an internal team that, that we call the market team, but they're actually the two top debaters in the country. They are the actual international debate champions that really their role is which markets should we invest in which market should we put the time and the effort uh, to bring forward so that's a lot of like just internal debate in the team and and what we're looking for are things obviously like are these contracts relevant right now are they in the news how much volume do you think they're going to get and also really about the structure of them like how would the rules work what would be the different strikes as expirations uh which settlement sources would we have how is the data is it reliable or not so that's really the contract formulation and after we decide that we really want to do a contract, then it goes through a, through a legal, I guess, process that they also do on, on writing pretty much a 40 to like forty to 60, I would say, page document for every single market, outlining exactly how the contract works. So seven or eight of those pages are actually on our website for each of the contracts we list. But most of the work goes into these confidential pages that explain how the market works and manipulation concerns and things like that. Tartar, do you want to? take to talk about the rest of the questions
0: and just as a refresher like i'm talking about like liquidity right like users are going to be drawn to interesting questions and also questions maybe that they can in some ways relate to and also kind of uh ease of participation i don't know how much of that is is taken into consideration because if i imagine if you have these you know high kind of minded questions that people probably aren't going to participate as much but then you also want to have something some stuff that sparks conversation right you have uh, like you mentioned, these d- debate champions on on your team, which must be cool because then that means that there's got to be something worth debating, you know?
2: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I, I forgot the the yes no part of your question, but a lot of it is exactly that. Like we event contracts, they are meant to be simple and they are powerful because they are simple, and we can gather so many people can can have access to this and understand it so easily. And yeah, and, and, and sparking, parking conversation is a big part of it. And I think the yes, no question is really the natural form of these contracts. When you're thinking about whether there'll be hyperinflation this year, it's really a yes, no proposition. Do you believe this is true or do you not believe that? So that is the natural format. We are experimenting with maybe adding other formats in the future, but but the yes, no is, is really the the heart of event contracts. And talking about liquidity, it's actually interesting how how events are actually different from other asset classes because events begin and they they end. So the starting up begin it's almost like we have a lot of mini IPOs every day of like different events that we're launching. And building liquidity is, is is a challenge, but it's also becomes a lot more I guess a lot easier for small funds or small market makers or even individuals that want to provide liquidity to really have an edge um, and be able to do that um on Kaoshi and, and profit on spreads but I'll let I'll let Tarek talk more about that.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I we want to address the question, you know, with respect to liquidity, uh, the way we're thinking about it is it works like an exchange, right? So the way it works is similar to the New York Stock Exchange where, you know, people are trading against each other. And so, so you know, if, if let's say I'm taking the yes side of the equation, someone else is taking the no side, and that's how the matching engine works. It matches the two. Uh, we can get into specific details. And, and so the idea is, you know, getting more and more users on the exchange, but also, you know, what we call market makers. Uh, these market makers are essentially people that take the two sides, both yes and no's, and are always like basically, co- you know, staying on the exchange, quoting the two sides and making money via, via via spread, which is similar to how, you know, any type of exchanges work, whether it's the New York Stock Exchange, other options uh, trading exchanges, uh, commodities exchanges, or, or even crypto these days. But, but that's really the idea.
2: Yeah, and, and to add a little bit on, on what I said before about the news and, and the filing, being another one of our big challenges is how fast can we actually put these contracts out, right? Because news and, and the world moves so fast. So Omicron, for example, it, it started in the news and it was a, a major, major risk to everyone a couple of days later. So we're always like on a clock having to, we do this, we launch new contracts almost like every day. And like we we're able to go from uh, idea of a contract to it being on the platform in around two days, one to two days. So it's uh, it's definitely super exciting.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned that uh, a lot of the questions are are, are sourced from just, people on the platform or or users, uh, are they just shooting you like DMs on Twitter or or sending you emails? How do you source those?
2: That's a great question. So pretty much any way any user can communicate with us, we take suggestions, but we have a specific form on the website that you can submit suggestions, uh, but also any Twitter, just emailing support.causher.com, Twitter DMs, also mine or Tarek's Twitter DMs. Yeah, even sometimes they just tag us on Twitter and and it ends up being a market.
0: That's awesome. And, And so talking about the user's, who do you find, um, I don't know if you've done any market research on, on who it is that's using the platform. Is it people that, like you mentioned, are, are, are market movers, right, that are using your exchange as kind of a hedging, just like they would at a stock market? Um, or are they people that are kind of new to this idea of, you know, placing a bet, but it's familiar because it's not like a sporting thing. They're actually betting on, on real life events. Like, are you onboarding new users to this kind of, uh, let's call it a prediction market, right? Or are you, you, are you seeing that you're having people that are just kind of, you know, transferring some of their money into another market that works somewhat kind of similar to what they know?
1: Yeah, totally. So I, I think it's, it's, it's both. I mean, you know, the, the way you see it is, is one, you know, this is an asset class that appeals uh, to, to a very, you know, broad, uh, broad audience, whether it's a, you know, a small scale investor, trader, all the way up to the kind of big institutions and hedge funds. And obviously over time, we'll go from smaller to bigger and bigger. I think the way to think about sort of the, the mix of the two today is, you know, so there's a lot of people that trade on traditional asset classes like stocks or, or, or options or other that, you know, are allocating a portion of their portfolio for this because, you know, it's easier for them to develop an opinion. It's easier to make money because you're not trading against, you know, the Citadels and the big hedge funds of the world like you would in, in options trading. You know, obviously, you may be familiar with the, the whole thing that happened with Robinhood earlier this year, uh, well, earlier last year. And obviously, it's regulated. It's legit. It's legit money. It's legit traders, you know, etc. Uh, But the other thing about events is that it's also attracting a a new breed of of, of traders that, you know, have just zero interest in stocks, definitely don't understand rates, options are too complicated, are not tangible. Uh, And you're exactly right. You know, what you debate at the dinner table is things like COVID or climate or or geopolitical events or, or, you know, the the weather. Uh, And you're less likely to debate like the financial of a a specific company, right? And so, so that's an attractive thing to people that may not have been into trading before, but now maybe are, are, are sort of getting interested in it and,
0: and uh, are looking to get started on Calci. And just from personal experience, right, like in my household, for better or worse, like politics is a thing, right? And, um, and I'm not going to get into politics on, on the podcast, but like debating who's right, who's wrong, right? And man, the passion, right, behind those arguments, those debates, um, you know, you have relatives not talking to each other for months at the end of the day, but the joy came out of somebody you know kind of saying i told you so i told you so and and uh at the detriment maybe of the relationship sometimes so i could see how you know this idea of totally not having any interest in trading anything but then you know predicting you know important political events or economic events whatever the case might be has a certain attraction to it
1: yeah totally i mean i think the way we think about it is you're absolutely right you know people have actual opinions, they have actual stake in you know, th- these types of topics like p- politics or climate or, or weather or COVID wh- whatever it is, but you know, more so than these traditional financial assets and that's really the power of, of our platform. I mean the way we see it, you know I agree like you know, humans crave to be right. Uh, they love to forecast the future. And the way we see it is like you know uh, one example of this is Twitter, right Everybody's making these predictions and then you know a few months later they co-tweet themselves you know, to show that they made that prediction. What we're saying today is like, okay, if you do have strong belief or conviction behind something, you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? Like, be be truthful about it. Don't just make, you know, cheap predictions uh, that will go into thin air. Put money and have some stake in it if you have that much conviction, which will allow for kind of a truth-seeking mechanism, right? You will know who to believe because the people that have put money behind their beliefs are probably more trustworthy and have probably higher conviction.
2: Yeah, and and actually, this, this is really the core, the core of the power of power. Of- the predictive side of Kaoshi, which is when you get all of these people with different opinions wanting to be right, they will do more research, they will bring more information to the market. And then you have the price of the market really being the best forecaster for whether that event's going to happen. If, if everyone has an opinion on whether uh, a new COVID wave is going to start in the next month and everyone does a lot of research because they want to be right and they want to, to profit out of it, you're going to have a prediction that is a lot better than any expert. And that's really the the, the core of like wisdom of crowds or like the the very academic side of, of of prediction markets, which is fascinating. It's really having this true source of information that can be used for forecasting.
0: Yeah, definitely. I didn't even think about it that way. You know, the the, the power of of a crowd of people having an opinion and, and and kind of voicing that opinion, right? Kind of moving a a, a little bit forward with 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 Kalshi, Any um, ideas into expanding into other areas? So you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm a I'm a sports fan. And I know that that's a big market. I live in New York state and they just uh, legalize on- online gambling here. So I know that's a big deal, but even like a simple, I don't know, yes or no replies to, to sports and-, and any thoughts on how that would also open up uh, your markets. I'm just kind of curious just cause I'm a sports fan o- or is that an altogether like different industry? Like that's, that's like not something that you want to touch. Like, you know um, that's got its own regulations.
2: Right. So we are not thinking of, of sports uh, in the near future. We're focused on more of the contracts that we, we have in the platform. So things around COVID, economics, entertainment. So we have things like the Grammys and, and we're going to have the Oscars and markets like that. And we are looking into expanding also into more and more of the traditional, for example, like uh, stock indices or even FX and things like that on 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 also having binary events. But sports not in the near future.
0: Okay, Perfect. And I, I want to make one thing clear too, like, I, I think I read it somewhere while, while reading about Kaoshi that you're not like the house, right? You're not like the casino where, you know, the term says the, the house always wins. You don't benefit from people's losses, right? Um, could you talk about that a little bit, kind of like the, the structure?
2: Yeah, of course. You're totally right. Like, we don't have any interest on, on the trades, on the outcome. You can think of Kaoshi as a matching engine. We match uh, the people who believe yes, is going to happen with the people who believe no, is going to happen. Uh, and we get the best prices whenever they match, um, there is a trade. And we operate like any other financial exchange. Like we have a central limit order book. Different traders say the price they would like to buy the yes and the no um, at. And then th- those prices match. Yeah. So pretty much like any other stock bonds or any, uh, or commodities or anything out there uh, in terms of, of how the order book works.
1: So. I'll add, I'll add a little bit to this. The, the, the really important distinction, you know, when, when people look at sort of like the, the gaming or, or casino industry versus, you know, obviously the, the, the financial trading industry. In, in gaming and casino, like, you know, when a customer enters the, the, the casino, they essentially, they bet against the house. The revenues of the house are equal to the losses of their customers, which, you know, create these kind of weird incentives. Uh, with us and, you know, with places like the New York Stock Exchange or or, or CME or, or typical traditional financial exchanges, uh, it's what luana said people are essentially placing limits and you know the exchanges job is to match these limit orders and people are trading against each other and the business model for these exchanges is they take a trading fee they take a transaction fee and so it, it creates a kind of a completely different model and the, the prices are formulated like luana said by supply and demand but where people are trading at, at what prices the same way that you know the, the price of an apple stock is determined in the public markets
0: so each contract right is is a dollar you know you can kind of correct me If there's something that I'm not saying completely accurately. So each contract is a dollar. And then as more people are kind of betting, saying uh, there's a question, you know, will COVID cases rise over the next month, let's say. And so as people are betting yes, more and more people are betting yes, the cost of that, right, uh, goes up and then the payout becomes less, right? So let's say, uh, you know, it's overwhelming the number of people that say, yes, it's going to increase over the next month. It's going to cost you 99 cents per contract. And then the, the payout, if you're right, is going to just be kind of a dollar. However, if in some by some chance you're wrong, you lose your 99 cents, you know, for that one person and to that person that, that bet one cent on no, and you can buy as many of these contracts as, as you're allowed. Is that correct? Yeah. So the payout mechanics are correct. The
1: the price formation mechanics, I'll sort of elaborate a, a bit. So, so it's not just, you know, just about the number of people trading. So the way it works is trader A, you know, let, let's say Tarek and, and one are trading on the exchange. I, I come in and I say, I, you know. I want to trade on, let's say, a question like, will COVID uh, hit 1.5 million daily cases? Will we have 1.5 million daily COVID cases in a day, right? And I think, yes, what each one of these yes contracts will pay out is $1 if, if it does happen and zero if not. And the no is the opposite. And the way I would say is like, let's say I want to buy 100 shares, and I want to buy them at price. Maybe I think that there's a 40% chance. So at price, 40 cents. So that's what the limit order is. I'm going to place it on the order book. Right, and now someone else, maybe Luana, wants to buy no. Her no shares will be get matched with the yes shares if she buys at sixty cents. And then this is where we have a trade, right? So let's say I, I bought, managed to buy from different traders hundred shares at price forty cents. I'm going to pay forty dollars. If I end up being in the money, if, if the event happens, I'll gain a hundred dollars with a net profit of sixty dollars. Right now, obviously, if a lot of people think that the probability is higher and higher, a lot of people might be willing to buy at higher prices, like forty. Maybe it goes to sixty. Maybe seventy. Maybe all the way to ninety-nine. Because people are placing them at orders at higher and higher prices because they think the probability is higher. If you think the probability is 99%, you're willing to buy at a price all the way up to
0: 99%. I see so you're basically just matching somebody's offer. Correct. Any any surprises? Like any questions where you you put out there and and you know it could go fifty-fifty and then you kind of started seeing overwhelmingly that it went in, in an opposite direction or anything that's sur- has, is surprising you so far with the data, whether it's a specific question or a specific category?
2: Yeah, I think my biggest surprise so far was really how well our markets predicted the Omicron wave. Um, we had some markets for some time, I think, if whether a variant of, I think, high consequence would emerge or like if the percentage split between Delta and another variant. So the question was pretty much, will another variant pick up? And by early December, we saw like a wave of traders really going and taking the side that Omicron would be a huge wave. It would be the dominant uh, variant and you'd be like an insane amount of case load, a case by the, by, cases by the new year. And at the time, we in the office, we were like, wow, that's crazy. No way, like they're thinking more than like six hundred, seven hundred thousand 700,000 of cases by the new year. That's crazy. We thought they were crazy mispricings and the market was completely right. Like it was, I mean, the media was saying how contagious this was, but obviously like it was, on another proportion, so it surprised us at all. But I think that that's really the power of of our markets. But one that we are watching very closely right now is actually the Fed rate for the March FOMC meeting, because traders are predicting that there's only right now a three percent chance that it's trading at three cents. Um, that there's a half a point hike in the March meeting, even though the news are there's a lot of news right now saying that it's a real possibility. So we're really trying to see if if who's right now, the media or or the cauchy markets. I would definitely bet that the markets are right, but but we'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not in, in totally ingrained in the news, but they've given suggestions, right, or hints that they are going to raise the rates, and or at least that's what the media is reporting, right?
2: Yeah. So I think the market is pretty confident that they will raise rates. Uh, we actually have markets from from for every FOMC meeting, so you can really get the type of exposure and opinion that you have on how that rate hike is gonna happen. Uh but the, the market doesn't think that it will be like a point five. Uh so it, the market doesn't think it's gonna be a base of point of seventy five in the March meeting. They think it'll probably be less. So the the I think the real contention there is like how big of a of an increase it's going to be in the March meeting.
0: Yeah. Any other questions that are kind of like, uh, I, I really, I really like the, the weather questions, like will the, will the high in New York city reach 40 degrees, right. Or whatever the case might be. And, um, I wonder what, what counts, cause you know, you, you do stress on your website, you have to read the contract in terms of the contract. And it's kind of, and so I went in and I was like, okay, so New York city is five boroughs, right. Mm-hmm. But the contract was very specific. It was about the high temperature taken from central park. And there were a couple of other stipulations, but then, so that, that makes it a little bit different, right? Because a lot of times the recorded temperature in Central Park is a lot different than the temperature in, in Brooklyn or the Bronx or, or mm-hmm. wherever the case might be. So I'm kind of interested in, in those details of the, the contract mm-hmm. and, and even how something like the weather, right? Just predicting the high comes with its own little, you know, backstory.
2: Yeah. And every one of our contracts is a legal document. So it, it is our job to make sure that things are going to be determined in a fair and right way. And that really means going very deep into the rules to know exactly which like geographical location we're going to use to settle and which website do we trust them. All of these things are like a, a process that the team goes through to make sure that the contracts are not going to be like indeterminate or like have any questions on whether it's a yes or a no. Our contracts are really clear or a yes or a no. And the rules really make that that evident to 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 the traders. So that that's why it is really important to read the rules. Obviously, we have the the titles, they, they are a great summary of what the market is about, but the rules have like all the details of, of what could happen, and, and especially for contracts, for example, closures to Supreme Court decisions, which we have contracts on, or specific bills passing, like we had infrastructure bill or a reconciliation bill passing. It is important to read the rules to make sure that there are no surprises or caveats, but uh, obviously, most of the contracts, you can just read the title and understand exactly what it is, but it's always important to read the rules.
0: Yeah. And and I want to, I kind of want to um, go on that question. I think my favorite question right now, there's a lot of interesting questions there is, and it's a kind of a hot topic, is will there be a new Supreme Court justice in 2022? And that's such a simple, yes or no, <laughs> but it's such a loaded question. And it's and it's just, just kind of fun, right? Because there's so much that goes involved, that's involved, that you know, politics, people's beliefs, things like that. So right.
2: um, it's fun. I mean, the Supreme Court, if if a new justice is confirmed, that impacts actually the life of every single American. So being able to to understand the chances of things happening and, and hedging that it's so important. And uh, yeah, and, and the market for the Supreme Court is actually very uncertain. I mean, it is it is almost 50-50 on the market things that, that a new justice will be confirmed. So we have to wait and see as well. Any
0: any other categories that are down the pipe that you're kind of really excited about? Any other even questions that you're kind of curious to see uh, to, to roll out over the year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way we think about it is we're always monitoring the things that are like most in the news, most trending, most on top of people's minds. And those are the things that we, we always try to sort of list you know, dynamically and, and, and quickly. Uh, so the one thing I would say is, you know, there's going to be events that we don't even know of their existence today that, you know, we, we're always going to be listing and expanding into. But more generally speaking, we're always expanding the universe of things that people can trade on. And we're doing that incrementally over time. More things around politics, more things around climate, uh, more things around economic indicators and financials uh, and financial events, uh, more things in the entertainment industry and other. But yeah, that, that's what we got for now.
0: Yeah, now already you have a huge amount of offerings. I kind of want to take a big picture view of your company to kind of, you know, have the last part of the, the podcast. And you know, big news a couple of months ago, you guys got a Series A funding for thirty million dollars. Um, and I mentioned that because you must have people that believe in you, right? That believe in the model. If there, if you're going to have a group of investors to, to give that amount of money, how significant is that uh, fundraising? Uh, that amount of money and and what it does for you moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that that's great. So I mean. Uh... I'll answer the fundraising question and I'll answer the, the sort of longer term and vision question. But, you know, we, we've raised a few rounds so far. A lot of people believe in us and, and, and the long-term vision. The way I view fundraising is that at the end of the day, uh, it's one, a, a way to, to get money, fuel, to basically, you know, allow us to get to where we want to get. Uh, and then two, bring in hopefully the, the, the right people on board uh, that will, you know, help us and advise us uh, navigate, you know, the waters that any startups that, you know, are, are truly trying to be groundbreaking will always you know, inevitably have to navigate. You know, I think people believe in us and the long-term vision because I would say one is the scale of the ambition. We have a bold long-term vision. Caltech is one of those companies that can truly sort of be paradigm shifting and, and truly impact the financial market to its core. You know, when you really think about it fundamentally, there is no reason today why events uh, are not as traded as, you know, stocks, commodities, or all these other things that have massive trading volume today. If you look at the interest rate swaps market, it's a 500 trillion dollar market yearly, and that's for an asset class that you know barely anyone even knows about. You're talking about events here—the things that you know really are the most tangible to people or institutions worldwide. So there's you know truly the the sort of the the size of the opportunity here is, is truly tremendous, and I think we've built the right team to get us there. You know when you think about the future, you know what this could look like in 10 years. You know we 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 usually visualize or imagine a future where. Essentially, every time someone has an opinion about a future event, the first reflex they have is to buy event contracts, right? Either because they have an opinion and they want to get exposure to that event or because they want to hedge their risk with respect to that event. And I think that would be a very powerful word to live in. And and I want to
0: clarify something, too, because you mentioned the stock market. That's all you can do, right? You could just basically say yes or no, right? Put your money down in, in one of those two options. Would there ever be a situation where you know people can be doing sh- can be shorting or longing a prediction? I don't know, trading on derivatives like they do in the stock market because you know a lot of times uh, you know from the outside looking in that that seems to me like it it, it makes. The gains fantastic, uh, maybe sometimes too fantastic, and it makes the, the losses a little too dramatic as well. When you have these players, that are kind of manipulating the market. Is that something that concerns you moving forward? You know, as you develop a marketplace.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, over time, you know, we will potentially look into things that are like linear, not necessarily yes and no, but you know, you just uh, trade in like you know the climate and how it's gonna, and you get paid linearly based on where you know it's gonna land or COVID cases or or, or other things. Uh, so that's definitely something we're considering. With respect to the sort of manipulation question, I mean, I think, look, manipulation is a risk for any type of market, right? And, and any market, anywhere, uh, there's always bad actors that try to manipulate or or you know threaten market integrity. And for us, like in the New York Stock Exchange or CME, we have a comprehensive surveillance program where, you know, we have uh, basically uh, algorithms that are running statistical models that are flagging any suspicious or unusual behaviors. And then these get investigated by our compliance team. And there could be heavy sanctions for people that do it the same way that you know there's heavy sanctions for people that do insider trading on stocks our markets are a little bit harder to manipulate in terms of price uh because you know for a stock option if you move the price in a certain direction for long enough you you know you could influence the outcome of the option whereas here for something like will brexit happen you know people could theoretically move the price as much as they want but at the end of the day there's a true probability brexit will end up happening or not so when someone tries to manipulate the price let's say you know by moving it up Traders are smart, uh, arbitrageurs will basically bring it quickly back down because they'll see the opportunity. They'll see that someone moved the price from, you know, let's say 40% to 60% and they'll be like, oh, there's a 20% difference of spread that we can take very immediately and they'll take it and bring the price back to 40%.
0: Awesome. Going on with the the, the theme of the company, you mentioned that the three years developing was, you know, difficult, right? And so now you've kind of, you've had some success. Um, You've described yourselves, you know, before you guys have, you know, you have a strong work ethic. What are the challenges now? for both of you, you know, running your company. And, and, and if I say so myself, you know, like if I can say this, and I say this, you know, in the best way possible, you're both young, you know, you're both young and you've been able to build up a company. What are some things that you've learned? What are some challenges that, that you didn't, you know, see coming up as, as you were developing this? You know, where good things have happened, but then you're like, we still have a few more things to do here.
2: Yeah, I mean, we still have so many things to do here. For us, we didn't know any of the challenges going in. I think we didn't have any idea of the regulatory space, or if it was CFTC, what is SEC, what are different things? And we we kind of just took it a challenge at a time. And for us, I think when, in the beginning, when we, we were trying to understand the landscape, we're like, okay, let's call 60 lawyers in a day, uh, try to get one to explain to us this entire situation. Everyone thought that we were crazy. And it's just about going one step at a time into the, the challenges and, and what's coming next. I think for us now, I think it's really about we are in the process of learning as much as we can from the users and what what they what do they like to trade on, what works, what has liquidity, what are the markets that work the best. And then really scaling this. I think building an exchange is very hard because it, as you mentioned before, there's a liquidity piece and there's all these other pieces that have to come together at the same time with the new users for the exchange to really pick up. So putting all those pieces together and really aiming for the volumes that like the likes of CME and the New York Stock Exchange has is gonna be a long and very, very hard process. I think that it, it the next couple of years will likely be harder than the than the regulatory than the regulatory piece in terms of of, of building this exchange from scratch.
1: T- totally align there. Uh, I think the the you know there are certain na- naivete that comes with being younger. I think uh, that is quite a powerful driving force. You know, I, I think not knowing how crazy the mountain uh, to climb is 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 a is a part of positive thing counterintuitively because you know. It's a little bit like, I would say, you know, when you're like hiking, you know, very common advice is to tell you not not to look up, not to look at the whole road because of (laughs) how long the road is going to be. Uh, So it's really about, you know, beating challenge after the other. And I think for us, one other thing that is, uh, that again, I think unites us as as founders and, and the team that we've built around us as well, is we really do not take no for an answer. I mean, you know, we'll just push no matter what, no matter what challenge comes in our way. And the regulatory piece has been a very strong evidence of that. So we're quite excited about, you know, what the future holds. We're going to keep pushing until we make this, you know, uh, until we made event contracts pretty much like a very boring, commonplace utility.
0: Yeah. Going on in that question, what is your day-to-day now? You mentioned before, you guys don't get any, you know, you guys are going 24-7, but I'm sure when you wake up and you're like, hey, I got my own company and I'm a founder, you know, that motivation is, is there to keep going. What is your day-to-day like? I mean, you guys are in meetings, you're developing the company, conducting interviews, you know, it, it, it doesn't end, huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, the day-to-day is, is quite intense. I mean, going practically what it looks like, you know, uh, obviously a lot of building, a lot of learning, talking to users, iterating, you know, setting direction, obviously recruiting and scaling the team. We're always looking for the best talent out there. So that's really the, you know, very long days, right? off I would say that the 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 more, maybe it's quite philosophical or meta answer to this is, this is sort of the, the, the thing about building sort of a high growth, high ambition startup is that you're in this constant balance between, you know, uh, long-term vision Really, constantly getting reminded of what you're building towards and, and why you're sort of doing the day to day and maybe short-term execution, right? And uh, you know the way to think about it is like you're, you're rowing this boat towards you know towards something that is very long-term, very long-term horizon that looks amazing. But at the end of the day, you have to row the boat, and rowing the boat is is, is quite tough. It's quite exhausting at day to day. It takes a lot of resistance. It's a marathon. But you know you're running this marathon and you're motivated to run it because you know that uh, you're running towards something very meaningful. So I'd say that's how it feels like.
2: Yeah, that's true. And and also, but honestly, it, my day today has gotten a lot better since we went back to the office. I think that just the energy of the team and everyone working on different things and like having lunch or even just get, going to get tea together is very exciting. So it, it's definitely, I think, going back to normal after COVID has been has been great for the company and for for everyone. But yeah, it's wake up, shower, go to work, come back sleep and restart kind of every day of the week, but it's awesome. Yeah, well,
0: thank you for spending an hour with me here uh, talking about the company. It's, it's been really great, you know, learning more about you guys, uh, learning about the, the company and the, the mechanics behind it. And, and I'm sure you guys uh, have some great things ahead. So thank you guys so much. Thanks a lot, thanks a lot for having us.
2: Thank you so much, this was awesome, thank you.
0: It's always great to learn about a platform that brings something different to the table. And Kalshi certainly fits that criteria. Tarek and Luana have a passion for the history of finance, and it'll be great to see them leave their mark on the financial markets. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests to be so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button.